8.03 on a Tuesday. Alfred Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Bruff's not here today. Still a little under the weather. He's on the mend, though. He'll be back soon. So I'm flying solo. First show of 2023. I'd say it's going great, right, guys? Oh, Swimmingly. yeah. This is good job. This is fun. And now we got Drance on. Having a yeah. good time. Great. The dogs. They are a supportive <laughs> lot. That is Andy Cole. That is Greg Ballack, a.k.a. A-Dog and Laddie. Uh, we are back. We are back. The trio is back. Uh, we are here for another hour, final hour of the program, uh, brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. You can visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. Uh, Halford and Bruff Show is always brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Finally, uh, as always, we are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics is Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 1500 five-star google reviews find your perfect fit at kintech.net to the phone lines we go thomas drance the athletic vancouver canucks talk here on sportsnet 650 joins us now on the halford and bruff show what up drancer mike happy new year my friend happy new year brother how the hell are you i'm doing well i'm doing well i mean i was uh I was at the bar with your fantasy opponent. It's a five thousand dollar matchup oh, last man. night, and obviously uh, quickly turned to concern for that young man um, who left the game in, in an ambulance. And hope hope we hear good news on that front. Yeah. So for those that missed it last night, we'll, we'll do a real quick PSA here, Drancer, because we're kicking off the next hour. Uh, Demar Hamlin, safety for the Buffalo Bills, suffered cardiac arrest on the field yesterday during Monday Night Football in Cincinnati, uh, was taken by ambulance from the field uh, to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, University of Cincinnati Medical Center, where uh, he's listed in critical but stable condition. There has been no further update. The Bills put out that update at about 2 o'clock in the morning Eastern, so almost overnight. So for those of you that are trying to get caught up or maybe just getting into your vehicles, your morning underway, that is the update. From Buffalo. Now, Drancer, as things pertain to the Vancouver Canucks, a little bit of a hard segue here, but uh, yeah. the Canucks are in action tonight. 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. This is your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Uh, a lot of discourse around JT Miller over the last, yeah. I don't know, I'd say 96 hours. As a matter of fact, I kind of likened it to when someone becomes the main character on Twitter for a day. <laughs> the, the goal is always to know. not, the goal is to always not be the main character, but JT yep. Miller has been it for the last four days. Uh, I got a series of questions I want to throw at you, so we'll just start here. Does Canucks management really believe everything that they're saying publicly about JT Miller? Yesterday it really felt like a media blitz to defend JT Miller, and I think that makes sense considering the commitment that the the team made to him, right? I mean, he is the player with the most money and term remaining on the books. In a lot of ways, when you decide to do that with a player, you kind of make them the face of the franchise, right? Like, you just do, at least until you commit to someone else, Um, or at least until there's someone else who's been committed to at a a comparable rate. I mean, I guess you could say Quinn Hughes has, what, four years left or whatever at $7 million. But, I, I mean, at the end of the day, like, money talks loudest in terms of empowering um, personalities within a locker room, right? Like this team's put their stamp, they've hitched their wagon to JT Miller. And so, you know, I think it makes sense as a market 
begins to turn on a guy. And that's what it's felt like to me. I mean, the main character thing, I think, is a, is a dead-on analogy, a bullseye analogy. But the level of criticism over, you know, really since the stick slap incident on the 27th, I mean, it's felt to me almost like the worms turned. Like there's, um, you know, a, just a volume of criticism and very little anyone saying to defend him until yesterday when Boudreaux and Jim Rutherford in multiple outlets sort of went on the offensive and, um, you know, at least made sure to say, like, internally anyway, the discussion's not matching what we're seeing in public, right? Like, the the public, the way the fans have reacted to the lack of uh, effort on back checks <laughs> the past couple games, plus, um, you know, this emotional outburst uh, directed at, at Colin Delia, um, you know, that's that's not a concern for us in terms of Miller standing with the team. So do they believe it wholeheartedly? I'm not sure. Is it something that needed to happen? I think so. Um, you know, I, I suppose the real sort of question becomes, like, defending him publicly considering the discourse, to me, is a no-brainer. It's something the team had to do. Sure. But is it actually being tolerated internally? Right. Right? Like, is it actually something that the organization has zero about? And I'd be surprised, honestly. Like, you just don't see a stick slap thing. Like for me, that's not nothing, but it's also not a huge deal, right? The Delia stick thing is something that necessitates like, oh, my bad. I was, I, you know, I'm, we're trying to win. I'm frustrated. Like, you know, my bad. And, and you move on between teammates. Um, it's not nothing either. You just don't see it happen very often. Correct. Right. Um, the back check stuff, you know, I, I mean, it's bad body language, but I don't know that it, like, he was never going to make it to, to break up that two-on-one on an, in either instance that got highlighted on Hockey Night in Canada anyway, right? Like, he was never going to be in those plays. So, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure it's a, th- I'm sure it's more internally than something where, like, you're full full-throated endorsing that behavior. I'm sure it's annoying to people internally, despite the fact that the organization's trying to put out the fire, as it were, simmering around their, you know, <laughs> the, the face of the team at the moment in public. I guess this leads to the question, it's, does, do optics matter or should optics matter? Yeah, and I think they do. Of course they do. Like, this is a consumer product. You know, like at the end of the day, you're selling this team. You're selling this team and you're selling this player who's signed for another seven years. Like their new contract hasn't even started yet. You know, I, I mean, of course, I think optics for sure matter. Like, how do you move forward? How do you move forward if you're the Vancouver Canucks? If the paying customers in your market don't believe in the players signed, you know, through the rest of this decade on your team. You know, like, you need to, you need to have some faith that this team can win. You need to have, you need to, especially for a guy who signed for seven years, like, this market needs to believe that JT Miller can lead this team somewhere, somewhere good. And if they're out on that, I mean, yeah, that's a huge problem for the team. 
And and I'm not saying that fans everywhere are out on that necessarily, but it's just felt like that the last four or five days. Uh, there's been a level, and it's not media criticism, right? Like, go on any Canucks online space and you'll see these conversations. Like, people were really upset about it, and fans were really upset about it. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's I think there's a massive amount of importance placed on that. You need to have some faith in, in the best players on a hockey team. If, um, if you're the team itself, like the team needs the market to believe in this guy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think there's going to be some work to be done to, to sort of have that. I mean, do you remember when the, the reaction of the Miller deal, like there was sort of a, a split at least, right? Like at least some fans were really excited based on what he'd done the season prior. Um, you need to at least have, you know, a, a, a wing <laughs> of um, of your fan base yeah. that, that's still excited about the guy. And and if you don't, yeah, I think that's a huge problem. We're speaking to Thomas Drance from The Athletic Vancouver and Canucks Talk here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, so, you know, you talk about accountability and then uh, optics regarding that. We've you know, Andy brought this up earlier, and we talked a bit about it, is Bruce Boudreaux has in this short sample size of a season, held a number of guys to account. Now, oftentimes it comes with playing time, like the healthy scratches for the guys like Kuzmenko and Garland and almost nearly Brock Besser. And, um, you know, it's hard not to look at what happened Thursday in Winnipeg, Saturday in Calgary, and then at Monday's practice, there is the $56 million man, JT Miller, playing in between Sheldon Dries and Connor Garland, essentially, I don't know, maybe a third-line center spot and that's presumably where Miller will be tonight. So I'm curious to get your reaction to that reaction from Boudreaux. It's not, it's not a huge public declaration of accountability, but it's got to be something. I mean, yeah, and, and, you know, this has been a source of, I think, internal tension for much of the season is management really wanting Boudreaux to hold players more accountable. Right, like I, I really think that desire um, was sort of, you know, in the background, like a background factor in the in the Brock Besser scratch, you know, that that ultimately wasn't because Dakota Joshua got sick on Hockey Fights Cancer Night. Right. Um, you know, I think there's certainly been a sense that it hasn't happened enough. That you know, when push comes to shove, it's like scratch Niels Hoaglander, and that's the answer. Um, so you know. The, the the fact that we may see it with Miller tonight, and we'll see. I mean, at the end of the day, across multiple coaches, the way that this has gone is, regardless of where JT Miller starts any evening, he ends the game with 20 minutes, or, like, or at least yeah. 18 minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you're still running your power play through him. You're still using him on the PK. He's still, you know, trusted as a face-off guy. Like, he's still going to play, um, and probably play a lot. So, you know, I, I'm not going to make a big... I'm not going to make a big to do over where he appears in line rushes, but yeah, I mean, it's again, it's something, I don't know if it's nothing uh, or I, I don't think it's nothing, but it's not necessarily sufficient yet. We'll have to see how it actually plays out in practice and whether Boudreaux can avoid the temptation of, you know, overusing a player who again, across multiple coaches in this market, right. Has been a guy that coaches can't live without that they need to throw over the boards. And so you know, I, I guess, I guess. Let me let me just summarize it with this, right? Okay. 
the body language stuff, what it comes down to, right? What, what I, what I hate to see, what I hate to see, or what I hate to think about is, you know, things haven't gone well for this team, but to look checked out before an extension of that magnitude kicks in. Yeah. To me, that's a real problem. Like that's the real problem at the end of the day. That's the one that I'm like trying to square and figure out like that. That's what it looks like to me. I mean, I, you know, one of the things I read Rutherford tell, I think it was Coos was like, and I know Boudreaux said this too, the idea of like, I'd rather a guy be emotional because they're competitive. Yep. Um, but that's not what it looks like, right? Like it just looks like a guy who's like too, too checked out to support his teammates, too checked out to back check. Mm-hmm. Like it, it looks, it doesn't look to me like it's, it's coming from a, a root competitiveness. Um, competitive outbursts are fine. I don't care. It's, it's, to, to look like you don't care, right? To, to have these comments in public where it's, you know, uh, the, the lack of accountability is almost stunning, right? The lack of self-awareness is almost stunning. Um, that, to me, is what I really find difficult to swallow here. Yeah, because there's something to be said for, and I, this is the line that Miller, Boudreaux, and Rutherford have all trotted out, that this is all born from competitive fire, right? That this is right. passion and spirit. My, I think a lot of the people and a lot of the fans watching the pushback would be, well, wait a minute, none of the actions ever lead to competitiveness. Like it's just, it's just frustration boiling over, and it never amounts to anything tangible. Oftentimes, it's frustration and then flatline, which is no good for anybody involved. And hey, Laddie, I want to play some of the uh, Greg. You here with me? Hold on a sec. Laddie's not paying attention to me. Uh, we're speaking to Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Laddie's here. Can you pull up the Miller audio that we played earlier in the show? Because I, I, in case you know, some people are just tuning in and they haven't heard the comments that you and I are alluding to uh, with regards to accountability and you know owning up to your play or good play or lack thereof. Miller had two quotes yesterday. One was on his overall play at center, and the second one was on the frustrations that he's shown. Let's, let's play the one I think that got most people's ire, and this is JT Miller talking about how he feels he's adjusted to the full 200-foot game playing the pivot down the middle and his assessment of his play so far this season. Here is JT Miller on his play at center. Well, I honestly thought it, like the last month or so, I mean, I haven't played a lot of center, but the last couple of weeks I've been playing really well at center. I mean, I think to say that my lack of production is a compliment to me not cheating the game and playing the right way. You know, I haven't been on for a lot against and, you know, played a lot of hard matchups in there and thought everything was coming along in the right direction. It's, it's a little tricky when you're bouncing around on every line here, like every on a nightly basis, but, um, you know, I feel really comfortable there. You know, the first seven, eight games of the year were kind of a crapshoot there. I didn't feel good about my game or com- like just comfortable. And, and uh, but, you know, since then I, I feel good there. Um, you know, I kind of like the strides that I'm making at a 200 foot basis. Boy, there are no children here at the 4-H club either. Am I so out of touch? No, it's the children who are wrong. <laughs> you hear, okay, Skinner aside, you hear JT Miller say that. What's your response? I mean, I don't think he's, like uh, JT Miller is so good at breaking down the game. You know, I don't think he's wrong that he's been better at center the last two weeks 
than he was in the first month of the season. I, I mean, not a hugely, not a high bar. Like, I don't think he's wrong. Um, you know, we've heard from Bruce Boudreaux. It's clear that Miller wants to play center. Um, for me, it's also clear that he's not a driver at center. Um, but but he can help a t- he can help a driver a lot when he plays on the wing. Like he's a really impactful two way piece as a winger, and he just isn't as a center. And and I feel like sometimes we, in talking about hockey, we come up with all these like complicated arguments, or or hockey teams themselves do. Certainly, the coverage around them. Like oftentimes things get complicated, and it's like you know if only these guys can play the right way, and it's like, no, that is not good enough, right? Sometimes there's just really simple explanations for things. And it's like, you know, maybe Miller's game's coming along at center. Maybe if, um, you know, a few things get ironed out, like, he can be passed. You know, for me, I just think he's a really good two-way winger, and he's not a really good two-way center. And it's and it's a really simple equation for me. Um, so, you know... I don't. I don't have a problem with that quote. Like that quote to me is fine, and and I think actually not inaccurate necessarily. I don't think his game's been uh, as bad at center over the past month as as it was in the first month. But I don't think he's an impact player in that spot. I just don't. I don't think he's an impact player in that spot. Uh, I think he's far more impactful as a first line winger playing or helping. Um, a centerman in Tufts, and, and whether that's Horvat or Elias Pettersson, which we just never see and haven't seen in two years, um, you know, I, I mean, I think that's a spot where he can help this team most. So in light of what you just said, uh, Rutherford's remarks yesterday, he's talking about uh, proper 200-foot centers, the guys that have the 200-foot game with responsibility. He alludes to Sidney Crosby. Then he circles back to Miller, talking about his maturation, or lack thereof, into the spot. Uh, Rutherford's quote was, quote, but it's hard to make that adjustment. It takes time, and it could take a whole year. Uh, so now the question is, do they honestly believe that they can turn a 29-year-old into a 2A center with, quote, a little time, maybe a year? You hope not. Like, you know, that seems to me like the definition of a hope bet, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know... <laughs> Um, as I like to say, hope's not strategy, right? So, um, you know, I, I hope not. I think if this build uh, requires JT Miller to be an impactful two-way centerman um, into his 30s, uh, the, this team's going to have a lot of issues. Like the, I mean, this team does have a lot of issues, but that would be one, one of them. <laughs> yeah. That would for sure be one of them. And, you know, meanwhile... I don't know. I don't know. Here's another thing that I felt like changed since Boxing Day, like over the last 96 hours, right? What? Um, everyone I'm talking to now, and I'm talking not, not like hockey people. I'm talking like my friends. Like when I show up <laughs> to my buddy's New Year's party, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. that I'm just getting like my buddies. The first thing everyone wants to talk about right now is a certain kid from North Van. Right. Right? Like. Right. My phone blew up after that overtime winner of just fans being like, like my, my buddies, again, just being like, oh my God, like why I don't want to see this team win another game. Like my Habs fan buddies just being like, wow, I'm so excited. I'm in love. Like I want to leave my wife for this kid. Like <laughs> just like truly it's been absurd yeah. uh, to see how Connor Bedard's performance at the World Juniors has changed 
the way that fans of, of non-winning teams are, are sort of looking at the rest of the season. There's like a light bulb on moment. You know, I think before this week, people had heard about this draft class. And over the course of this last week, people saw it. Yeah. And I think that changes the conversation for, for fans too, right? All of a sudden, all of a sudden, and I, I wonder how much of these commingle because it's like all of a sudden, it seems like there's the, the stakes of being just meh, of being just mid, yeah. feel a lot higher to people or a lot realer to people now than I think they did a month ago. And I, I think that's also something that's probably not coloring the Miller discourse, but I think is going to color the conversation around this team in a more pronounced way now that now that it feels real tangible now that you can see it uh and see why um you know the rewards of being bad this season in particular eh, stand so stand out so much well i mean if we're gonna do the anecdotal my buddy text i mean we've got our own text line here <laughs> dunbar lumber text line 650 we can't go five or six minutes without someone alluding to Connor Bedard, either what he's doing and how phenomenal it is, or this, you know, very faint hope or dream that the chosen prodigal son will return to Vancouver. Right. And 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 it's out there and it it is funny to watch these two things play out at the same time. And, you know, we were on, we had Greg Wyshynski on the show in six 30 and we were talking about like potential landing spots where he might go. Cause that's the conversation right now Mm -hmm. is all due respect to the world junior tournament. He's already done the tournament. Like, it, you know, it's Bedard's tournament. I think almost regardless of who wins it at this point, I would say. Like, it's just he's, he set every Canadian scoring record. He scored the wonder goal. There's no question that he's going to be the focal point of the second half of the season for the race to the bottom. But if you're mid, you're not in that race. No. you got to be in the bottom 10 to even have a shot, right? And ideally, you want to be in the bottom 10 with a bullet so that you have a decent shot. Um, you know, Vancouver's not there, right? I mean, Vancouver's what? I think 26th, 27th, or sorry, 26th, 25th moment in yeah. point percentage. So it's like, you know, you pass Ottawa and St. Louis or whatever by point percentage, and, and you can't even move up far enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, it's not even necessarily about him, although it is obviously about him. It, it's far more about the other guys. It's far more about, you know, uh, I don't know if you watched that Sweden game yesterday, but Leo Carlson's outrageously good. Yep. Outrageously good, right? And and Mitchkov's not even at the tournament. Fantilli's also on this team. I mean, you don't need to end up at the very top to, to get a game-changing piece. And, you know, this week's just shown, been, a, been a showcase. The importance for a team that's stuck getting getting to the bottom. Uh, I mean, for me, when I look at Vancouver, when I look at a team that's 11th in the West by point percentage at the moment, um, it, it would require some work. It would require some work to get into that mix. But but some of that work feels like stuff that's likely to happen anyway, right? Right. right. If, you, if you deal Bo Horvat, if you manage Demko's return timeline conservatively... I, I mean, I don't think you're that far off from getting into the mix. I think you're far off from getting into the mix in terms of like being worse than Anaheim. But I don't think you're that far off from getting, um, you know, cementing yourself as being uh, like worse than Nashville, right? Like yeah. you can you can sink without too much effort 
expect just by making the moves, looking at this team, reporting on this team, uh, sort of trying to forecast what to expect over the balance of the year, you know, if you just expedite the timeline on, on some of the stuff that we expect to happen anyway, uh, I mean, I think this team can very much be in the mix, if not for bottom five or top five lottery odds, then at least, you know, well inside the bottom 10 with a shot to move up far enough to select first overall. I, I don't see, like, as I think about what matters most for this team in the new year, what matters the most between now and April 17th or 15th, whenever the season ends, I mean, for me, got to be in that bottom 10. Like, that to me, that to me would be far more important far more important like I, I think that matters way more than pushing to make the playoffs by a lot by a lot uh we're up against our time but i gotta ask you before we let you go since we're on the subject of high-end draft picks and former number one overall guys alexis lafreniere in new york how closely should we be monitoring that situation as ardent canuck supporters yeah i mean for sure for sure we should obviously there's going to be interest um you know, we'll see. The, the New York Rangers have held very close to their top-end players, even when they've fallen out of favor uh, under Chris Drury. I mean, you think about Vitaly Kratsov, right, uh, who went over to the KHL, like literally was a uh, defected player, I believe is the, is the terminology in the CBA, and they still held on to him, brought him back, right? I mean, I, I don't think Drury uh, is sort of... Uh, looking <laughs> to make these types of deals. No, no team does when you've got um, a, a player in this position who's got as much raw talent and skill as Lafreniere. And I'm a big fan of Lafreniere. Mm. Like I know that I know that it hasn't been sort of a, a howitzer start to his NHL career, but there's a lot to like in terms of the work rate, in terms of the speed, definitely in terms of the shooting. But but it's more than that. I think he's got a chance to be a really well-rounded. Uh, sort of like tough minutes winger uh, who can score. I mean, a, a star. I think he's got star potential. Uh, I, I I see the scratches. Um, you know, Gerard Gallant has, um, you know, a, a bit of a reputation for being a little bit like Boudreau in terms of his usage of young players. Yep. I would expect the Rangers to be extraordinarily patient on that front, Not not just based on obvious logic, but also the fact that you know, as we saw last season, and, and the Kratsov example really looms large for me. Uh, you know, that's that's an organization that I think is going to be extraordinarily unwilling to throw a really talented youngster overboard. So track it with interest. The whole league will be, um, but I think that's that's one that would be tough to pry out of the Rangers' hands. Drancer, thanks, bud. Great stuff as always. Happy New Year again, and we will do this again next week. Cheers, bud. Be well. Bye. Hey, too. Thanks, bud. Uh, Thomas Trance from the Athletic Vancouver and Canucks Talk here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Coming up, we're giving away two pairs of tickets for the Canucks and Islanders game tonight. Don't go anywhere. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. I mean, I like to say that my lack of production is a compliment to me not cheating the game and playing the right way, playing the right way, playing the right way. This town is a part of us all. A part of us all. A part of us all. Sorry to repeat myself, but it'll help you remember. 8.36 on a Tuesday. <laughs> Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford, Bruff. Sportsnet 650. Just Halford, though. Bruff, little ill. Getting better. He'll be back soon. 
Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour three of the program is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. You can do so by visiting them on the internet, campbell-pound.com today. Uh, that scintillating intro brought to you by the dogs who are back with us. Happy New Year, dogs. A dog, Laddie. How are you guys? How are you holding up? Uh, doing well. 4.30 a.m. wake up, so I forgot about that. Yeah, so you worked almost exclusively throughout the holiday break, did you not, A dog? I, I did, yeah. I didn't really have any time off. Right, but Laddie, you got some time away. You yeah. recharged the batteries. Now mm-hmm. you're in here. Yeah, it was the kids' first birthday and Christmas. So it oh, was, uh, that's yeah. so sweet. Fun little stretch there where I didn't have to come in at work it. And now, and now, look That's at how all excited over. you are to be here. I'm in okay. tears. <laughs> uh, we'll allow Laddie to cry, sob uncontrollably. <laughs> Turn the microphone off. Uh, we are going to do what we learns now. Uh, we're going to start with A-Dog and Laddie. The dog's broken up by a moo cow. That's uh, a very animalistic endeavor here at the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. A-Dog, let's begin with you. You're what we learned. It can be anything from the last, the holiday break, wherever you want to go yeah. with this. But what did you learn? Well, this is just yesterday. Let us um, know. Okay. Yeah, I learned that the uh, Rolling Stone uh, released their top 200 all-time greatest singers list. And Celine Dion didn't crack the top 200. What? Let alone the top 10, the top 50, the top 100. We're, we're talking not even... Not not just the possibly greatest Canadian female singer of all time or greatest singer, period. Celine Dion is one of the greatest vocalists on earth ever, full stop, all time. Hundreds of millions of records residency sold. Residency in Las Vegas. I'm not even give like, those I'm not even like a, a self-proclaimed Celine Dion fan. Like I wouldn't even call myself a fan necessarily of the music, but just as a singer myself, I mean, she's like one of the all-time great vocalists of any decade from any country ever, and for some reason, the Rolling Stone top 200 singers, she wasn't on that list, which, which just blows my mind. Uh, I like she'd, be, she'd be in the top 10 of all time on most lists. Uh, clearly a Dion head over there, Andy. But I'm not, that's not. the thing, I'm really not. I'm he, not he has like, a framed photo of Celine actually at his desk. I could name uh, maybe a handful of songs off the top of my, like I'm not, I would not call myself a fan of the music necessarily, right. it's not my cup of tea, right. but just as a vocalist, she is one of the all-time best, and I couldn't believe it when I saw that she didn't make it on this list. Questions, one, I, I did not follow this list, on, but. I did not follow this on the socials, uh, was she the most notable slash controversial admission? She would have to be. Yes. I mean, everywhere people were just like, what? You didn't include Sl- well, who Celine were the, Who were the other snubs? Were there any other major ones? No, she was the one that came to most people's mind like do, instantly do, that she didn't make the top Greg, 200. Greg, do you know the list? Have you seen it? I have not seen this list. If you, ha- gonna... you have, obviously. I've just seen it. If you had to guess who numbers one and two on the best singers of all time. Freddie Mercury. No. Really? Uh, spoiler or hint, both female. Okay. Any guesses? Oh, Whitney Houston? Yes, Whitney Houston yep. is number two. That, that doesn't surprise me. And number one number of all time. One. Anybody? 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 Yes. yes. Oh, there we go. I have not Laddie. seen the list. Also doesn't surprise me. Andy, you're out as the music guy. Yeah. Greg, yes. you're in as the music Greg, guy. Greg, you're in. Nice. Okay, Mukau that. Now, I had to tell Laddie at the break. I'm like, I know Eric Hinsky got hired as a coach somewhere. Yes. Where was it? Uh, the Mets. Right. But we're not going to do that as of what we learned, And he Greg. passed his physical. No. <laughs> uh, Laddie's a big Eric Hinsky fan. We're not going to do that as you're what we learned. No. What are we going to do? I really wanted to, but uh, I'm going to go with a hockey what we learned. Okay. Uh, it's a stat that I learned over the weekend thanks to Corey. Uh, how do you say his name? Mesa Sack? Yes. Very good. Uh, he's a reporter with The Athletic. 
Uh, he covers the Sharks now, I believe, or did he move to the Islanders? I can't remember which way he went. Either way, he had an Eric Carlson stat. We knew he's, everyone knows Eric Carlson's back, right? Yep. He's, uh, we talked about it on the show before. He's, he's having a nice reclamation season, but he's on pace to score the most defenseman points since 91 92. Mm. And he has the potential, if he keeps going on the pace he's going on, to be the first defenseman not named Orr or Coffee to have between 104 or over 104 points, essentially. Right. And so that 91 92 total, that would have been like a Brian Leach, I think, well, around 120, yeah. which is insane. Um, I know Mike Green had the really gaudy ones for the. Well, Yossi's had a great couple of years. Right. McCarr had, what, 80 something points? Yeah. To break, I mean, the, the real, for me now, like when you're getting into the sort of gaudy late 80s, early 90s, Coffee, Leach, those guys, those are the ones. If a defenseman gets 100 points, that was like a, mm. a bar that not a lot of guys could hit. And now we're kind of starting to see it happen again. Carlson's fascinating because. He was done. Like everyone kind of wrote him done. off, right? He was. He was definitely on the decline. I don't know how many people within the NHL are going to be enticed enough to make him a viable trade candidate. When you're talking ore and coffee, in but the you're same also breath. talking about like I went to the game on the 27th, the six-two win over the Sharks at Rogers Arena. Uh, Sharks, they bad. They are not good. And Carlson just gets to play what every situation, every minute, every power play second. And he, I mean, he got—he has a million opportunities to rack up points on a team where they're like, ah, we gave up six, but we scored five. Alternatively, he's doing it with no help. Uh, you could imagine him they on a good team. They do not have a lot team. of talent. They do not have a lot of talent and, and he's, whatsoever. He's done it in the playoffs too. Like with Ottawa, he had a little bit of success, right? So I think, I think he's enticing. I, with, with, like I said, you're talking about Orr and Coffee in the same sentence as him. You're looking for an impact player. I don't think it gets much bigger than what Eric Carlson could do for a team. Mukau. Okay, let's uh, print out some humanoid submissions. Unsigned, hashtag WWL, what we learned. Halford thinks that JT playing, JT Miller, playing between Connor Garland and Sheldon Dries is a demotion when he's been playing between Garland and Lazar recently. Yeah, I, I probably framed that wrong. I've mentioned on a number of occasions today during the show that um, I made note of the fact that after what happened against Winnipeg, Smashy, smashy with the sticky, sticky. And then what happened against Calgary, the no effort back checky. Um, I thought it was noteworthy that they went to practice on Monday and Boudreaux had him skating between Garland and Dries. But I understand that it's been like this for a little bit. I think the bigger picture here is that um, there's a very big gap, a, a chasm. Maybe it's a juxtaposition, but... Um, there's Miller being talked about and the defensive Miller being talked about as a top line, $56 million, 200-foot center who's working towards being that type of guy. And he's playing between Garland and Dries, right? I, that's, it's just, it's very stark that what we talk about and how Miller talks about his game, how Rutherford talks about Miller's game, and how Boudreaux talks about Miller's game is very different from what we're seeing in real time, play out on the ice with who he's playing with, et cetera, et cetera. So that was the only reason that I wanted to get that out there. You guys got any what we learns to go? Anyone you guys want to dive into? Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. It is the Smalt alternative. What did you learn over the last, uh, I don't know, I'll say uh, holiday break in sports. Text in a reminder, A-Dog is currently perusing all of these. He's going to give away some tickets to the Canucks and Islanders game tonight. 
I got an unsigned one, keeping okay. on the JT Miller front, and yes. it's a text that reads, I learned JT Miller isn't a leader, and we should have signed Horvat. Now we're even more doomed. I want to jump off that a little bit and just say the the, the stuff about the Canucks room, of course, no, none of us are in that room. None of us have facts about who likes who and all that stuff is all conjecture at this point. But do you not find it a little alarming that not a single teammate has come out and been like, yes, JT Miller's he's a hard worker. We, we love him here. He's, he's such a great leader in the room. No one has said that. No one has made it a mission to go to the media and quell this when it's clearly hanging in the ether, as you like to say, Mike. Yeah, you brought this up at the break, and mm. I was kind of mulling it over. I'm like, yeah, I think there might be something to this. It is – look, it's standard fare for when a team is underperforming and a guy like Miller is asked about his play um, almost by, like, default. You just say, oh, I need to be better. I need to do more. I need to help this team win. He didn't do that. The other part of it is that you just get guys jumping to his defense almost out of reaction. Like, not even if they believe it or not, right. it doesn't even matter. And we haven't seen any of that yet. Or, the, like, his buddy in the room would go to the yeah. media and be like, ah, we love him. And we haven't even seen that. The defense and the explanation has come from Boudreaux and then Rutherford. And as Drance alluded to in our hit just a short while ago, um, that's those were the media rounds on Monday. He notes coming from not Blake. guys in the room. Yeah, that's important <laughs> to note. Other than Bruce, he's not a player, obviously. Uh, Craig and Campbell River, hashtag WWL what we learned. Bruff beating the dead horse, which is cruelty to his own kind, regarding the Seahawks losing to the Raiders and it costing them has come home to roost. If they had won one or that game or either the Carolina game, they would be sitting pretty on Sunday. Now they need to rely on Jared Goff versus Rodgers. At Lambeau. Okay, so the, the, we haven't spent a lot of time on the Seahawks. There's been a million things going on, but Cole's Notes version, Seahawks win 23-6 to against the Jets on Sunday. That keeps their playoff hopes alive. That also eliminates the Jets. What a terrible second half of the season for the Jets. Seattle goes to 8-8. Eight and eight. Seattle can get in the playoffs if they beat the Rams this Sunday in Week 18, but that isn't enough. Seattle also needs a win by Detroit over Green Bay. Had the Seahawks won any of those very winnable games, including almost every one against the NFC South, they would have controlled their own destiny. Right now, it's Aaron Rodgers and the Packers who control their own destiny. Now, the issue that a lot of Seahawks fans have, and I, Seahawks fan or no, objective, biased, whatever, it's hard not to look at this and say, this is not good scheduling from the NFL. The Seahawks are going to play the Rams in the afternoon. If the Seahawks win, they are that much closer to making the playoffs. However, if the Seahawks win, that eliminates Detroit from playoff contention. Detroit needs to beat Green Bay in the Sunday night football game for the Seahawks to get in. Work with me here, folks. You can see the dilemma at hand. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's fair. I think this needs to go World Cup style, FIFA style, where everyone plays at the exact same time so that whatever outcome from one game does not adversely affect another game. It is naive to think that the Detroit Lions will come out on Sunday Night Football full of piss and vinegar and vim and vigor if they've already been eliminated. That's crazy. That's just human nature. Now, flip side of this, Seahawks shouldn't be in this spot. Really shouldn't. I know that if you had told me at the beginning of the year that they would be 8-8 eight and eight going into Week 18 and have a chance to win and get into the playoffs. Everyone would have taken it. But expectations changed throughout the year. They blew too many winnable games. They put themselves in this spot, and now they're going into Week 18, not in control of their own faith and without Jordan Brooks, by the way. 
Uh, they're a leading tackler this season at linebacker who's out with a torn ACL. Okay, uh, a dog. You're going to take uh, what we learned here. What yeah, well, it's it's from a listener, but it's worth mentioning. Uh, we did play this a ton last week, but I guess some of our listeners uh, weren't tuning in last week when we had Brooke Ward and Dan O'Connor on. But uh, one listener, Dempster Dan, texting in. Uh, unless I missed it, I was surprised not to hear a dog play Bester's quote last week during this morning because it is one of the all-time great drops. You know, we know that they're going to be coming all over us everywhere on the ice. <laughs> It hasn't gotten old yet. It just hasn't gotten old yet. <laughs> do another one. You know, we know that they're going to be coming all over us everywhere on the ice. <laughs> Please do another one we learned. Someone has to have something. Can we announce some list winners? Can we, we were giving away tickets. Why, you can't pick it up where he left off <laughs> mic? What's going on? I can't. It's everywhere. You can't follow can't, that up? I can't. I can't. All right. Uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll announce the winners. Yes, we actually had a bonus third pair of tickets to give away. So we have three oh, winners today. Nice. Uh, they are as follows. What we learned, I've learned that the local boy, Matthew Barzell, has five goals in the last five games since December 22nd. He loves playing at home on the West Coast because he captained the Seattle Thunderbirds and that he's going to score a goal tonight in Rogers Arena, which I would love to see. So, Bester the Beagle, you are going to the game. Who? What's the name? Of the winner? Yeah. Bester the Beagle. Oh, I thought you said Bastard the Beagle. <laughs> no. Damn, that's, uh, that's a hard to They named themselves. Yeah. Uh, Barzell has had a nice little year uh, for the Islanders. It kind of started slowly, but now he's basically up to a point-of-game player. So if you, if you missed it, uh, Hour 2, download the podcast, by the way, Apple, Google, Spotify. Uh, hour 2 of the podcast, we talked to Butch Goring, who's the MSG Network analyst for the Islanders. And he said that the Islanders were not good in that um, opening, the West Coast swing, that opening loss they had in Seattle two nights ago. So the Islanders go Seattle a couple nights ago, Vancouver tonight, Edmonton Thursday, then Calgary Friday in the second of a back-to-back. So a couple things there. One, uh, he predicted that it'll probably be a pretty strong response because if you look at them historically over the course of the year, they've bounced back really well from poor performances. They haven't had a ton of extended losing streaks or at least a ton of streaks where they've had poor performances back-to-back. Two, I guess we expect to see Samsonov tonight again because logic would dictate that if Varlamov's going to get one of the games, it would be the back-to-back Thursday, Friday. And Sorokin. What did I say? Samsonov. Sorry, Sorokin uh, would play tonight. So there's a couple things to monitor for the game as you're going in tonight. Then, of course, uh, keep an eye on Barzell, who's – Got a goal scoring streak going tonight, and kudos to Bastard the Beagle, who will get to go to the game tonight. Good also, I don't think it matters who's in net for the Islanders. Either of those guys, yeah, they're, they're tough to score on. Yeah. Uh, so it's a nine twenty six for Sorokin and a nine nineteen for Varlamov. Yeah. Very good goaltending for the sad. Islanders this year. They're okay, gonna, the, they're going to be coming all over the ice. Yeah, they sure are. A dog, uh, they sure are. Um, what we learned: the Canucks could use Butch Goring on the bench right now. I loved Butch. He was like the Alex Burrows of the Islanders, shorthanded wizard, clutch. I hope you've already. Uh, have you already given the tickets away, Andy? I mean, it's already 6.10 a.m. I'll do this anyways, and best of luck. And KTG, you are one of the winners of the tickets. So Keith congrats. the Grip. Congratulations mm-hmm. to Keith the Grip. Okay, I will say this. Uh, a lot of time when Eastern media come out west, they find it very hard to get their internal clocks on Pacific Standard Time, right? So we often ask many people, please come on our show, and they say, no, we will not because it's too early and they don't want to do it. So kudos to 73-year-old Butch Goring, who got up early, did the show, gave us some great insight on the Islanders. That's a true professional. Uh, A-tier name as well, Butch Goring. Now, you found out his, his actual name. I did not know this. Robert Thomas So Goring. smooth. So smooth. <laughs> yeah. 
none of us decided to call Butch Rob. We wanted you to say, hey, hey Robbie, how you Robbie. doing? Robbie T. R-T. Yeah, I would not uh, call him that. Robbie Goring doesn't have the same ring as Butch Goring. Two winners in the books. A-Dog, yeah, who's our, our third? Our third bonus winner, what we learned, ticket emoji. It's time for 650 to send me to a Canucks game with my son for his first ever game. So, Jay Cook, congratulations. Hey. You're going to the game. Hopefully the Canucks win. Uh and if not, uh, your son will understand what it is like to be a longtime Canucks fan. Yeah, he'll get his first taste. Of suffering. <laughs> taste, the, taste the flavor. Yes. Okay. A uh, <laughs> couple more before we go to break. Surrey Ryan, hashtag WWO, what we learned. Ryan Kessler was a ass at times, but he always backed it up with his 200-foot game. JT Miller isn't even close to that level to have such a similar disposition. Yeah, the Miller... Kessler comparisons, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're toast, I think. I think it's fair to say at this point. We went back and looked at uh, Kessler's Selkie campaign. And it wasn't just the year or the defensive responsibility or commitment to a 200-foot game, also while scoring 40 goals. The era in which he won it, he sandwiched between Pavel Datsuk as the winner of the Selkie the year prior and Patrice Bergeron as the Selkie winner the year after. I had some elite company. And it was well-deserved. You're talking about guys that the trophy could be named after (laughs) at a certain point. And that's the... So, again, uh, Bruff's not here, but he always likes to talk about what's the bar? How high do you need to go? How good do you need to be? How elite do your players have to become? That's kind of it, right? Like, you know, what, what we're getting right now... And the lack of accountability is a whole separate thing, but what we're getting right now is a guy that acts like he should be in that tier and is frustrated that he's not, but no real amendments to the game to get there. At least not yet. Now, Rutherford says it's going to take some time to get there. but uh, Well, and I also think that to be compared to Kessler, you need to have the team success along with it because that's a big part of the, the Kessler story. And yeah, and they go hand in hand. Yeah, you, right? you need to have that along with it to even be in the same breath, in my mind at least. Yeah. Uh, you guys got any other ones that you want to do? Anything? Anything? Uh, Anything? I know we got to go. We did get a statement from the family of Damar Hamlin. If you oh want yeah, to hear please. It. Okay, just great. just came through the wire. Now they said, on behalf of our family, we want to express our sincere gratitude for the love and support shown to Damar during this challenging time. We are deeply moved by the prayers, kind words, and donations from fans around the country. We also want to acknowledge the dedicated first responders, healthcare professionals at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center who provided care to Damar. We feel so blessed to be part of the Buffalo Bills org have to, and to have their support. We also want to thank Coach Taylor and the Bengals for everything they've done. Your generosity and compassion mean the world to us. Please keep Damar in your prayers. We will release updates as soon as we have them. Thank you, the Hamlin family. And thank you to you, A-Dog, for passing that along. With that, we are out of here for today, but we will be back tomorrow. Signing off, I have been Mike Halford. He's been A-Dog. He's been Laddie. Uh, this has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.